John 13, verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil now, uh, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Lord, we're grateful tonight to be able to sing the songs that we've sung about the cross. Oh, Lord, we're so grateful. We will be eternally grateful for what you did on that cross for us. Not only did you pay the penalty for our sin, but the Bible tells us that you became our sin. And that is hard to fathom, that the holy God of the universe would be willing to become my sin. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn some things tonight about what Jesus did even before he went to the cross. Help us to learn lessons from it. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help our hearts to be right with you and right with one another as we partake of communion here in just a few moments. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I mentioned on Sunday that we are doing this service on Tuesday night uh, because... uh, as you look at the Jewish calendar and, and uh, line it up with the Bible, uh, it's evident that Jesus died on Wednesday and not Friday, like most people think. Um, if he died on Friday, I'm not sure how in the world you can get the three days and three nights that he was in the heart of the earth. There's no way. And so, uh, as I've done some study, it, it's evident to me that Jesus died on a Wednesday, and then he rose from the dead uh, sometime Saturday, well, like Sunday morning at some point. Um, we're not exactly sure what time, but it was before the break of day. Because um, when they went to go look at the tomb, it was still dark. Um, but uh, So that's why we're doing it tonight, because Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room on Tuesday night when he was crucified on Wednesday Now, tonight we're going to partake of communion. In a few minutes, we're going to do what churches have done for a couple thousand years. This is a very sober and sacred time as we remember the broken body of our Lord and the blood that he willingly shed for the remission of our sins. It's also a time to examine our own lives and take inventory of where we are in our relationship with God and with each other. But before we take communion, let's take a look at the day before the cross, or "'Twas the day before the cross." Uh, John 13 here is, takes place on Tuesday, and uh, it says here, "'Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father.'" So Jesus knew that this was it. Uh, And, of course, Jesus, being God, he was omniscient. He knew all things. But still, knowing that he was going to die 
and knowing the type of death that he was going to die uh, must have been an overwhelming thought. And we know it was because later on when he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, he was in great agony. But can you imagine knowing that you were facing a death like that and you had only a very limited amount of time? What would you do with those hours? What would, what would be on your bucket list if you knew that your time was ending and, and your hour was come, that you would depart out of this world? Uh, what would you want to do for the next several hours? What would you choose to do with that time? Uh, maybe some would say, well, I'd like to go on a special trip, or I'd like to go skydiving, or I'd like to go eat one last meal at this particular restaurant that I really enjoy, or maybe I... I want to go meet this person, or uh, I'm not sure what you would have on your list, but tonight I'd like to share with you what was on Jesus' list as he was getting ready to depart out of this world. What were his priorities? What did Jesus choose to do the last few hours of his life before he was crucified? What was it that he did? Well, let's go down through it here. Number one, first of all, Jesus chose to love. He chose to love. Look in verse number one. The Bible says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of, out of this world unto the Father. And then, and then the next word saying, says, Having loved his own which were in the world. He loved them unto the end. So in this last window of time, Jesus decided that he was going to intentionally love his own. Now, Jesus, of course, was the perfect example and display of love throughout his life. There was never a moment in his earthly life that he was not infinitely loving. You might be thinking, okay, uh, yeah, but I remember the story about Jesus coming into the, the temple and overthrowing the tables and And uh, with the whip driving all those money changers out of the temple, that wasn't very loving. Absolutely, it was loving. It was completely loving. It was completely loving to his heavenly Father. And uh, and it was loving to the truth. And uh, and so Jesus has always been completely loving. Uh, If your Bible's open to John chapter 13, if maybe you flip over a page back to John chapter 11, just to give you a a little example of Jesus' love that he had for his own. Uh, Verse number 34 of John chapter 11, and most of us know this story. Uh, Lazarus, his friend, had died, and he was in the grave for four days. And the Bible said he stinketh, because he's been dead for a little while, and his body started to uh, decay, and, um, and it didn't smell so good. Verse 34 Uh, Jesus said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35, of course, we joke about being the the shortest verse of the Bible, but but what a verse it is. Jesus wept. That gives us an insight onto who he is and his character and his nature. And And then this is what they said about him in verse 36. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. It was so obvious and evident and noticeable to those around that Jesus indeed truly loved Lazarus. Lazarus was his friend and he loved him. And really, this, that verse could be said about me. Behold how he loved Eric. 
And you could insert your name there too because he loves you as well. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, he chose to, he could have chosen to do so many things. He could have performed so many different miracles in that moment. But he chose to deliberately and intentionally love. And it is so fitting and appropriate and just like him, right, to choose to love during his last day before he was crucified. Well, how did he display this love uh, to these disciples and to really all of us in these last moments before uh, he was crucified on the cross? Well, he displayed this love by teaching them through his teaching. You know, it was during this uh, discourse there in the upper room that we find some of the most powerful and life-changing lessons he ever taught his disciples. All the All of the gospel uh, writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all recorded the upper room. John uh, dedicates John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, five different chapters to what took place there in the upper room, where the other gospel writers just barely mentioned it. But John really went into some serious detail on what took place there in the upper room and and, and in this pa- those five chapters, we find some pretty amazing lessons that he taught his disciples and that we all benefit from even to this day. Truths presented during this window of time include when Jesus told Thomas and all of mankind that the very famous, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. It was there in the upper room that this took place. And uh, this is a display of Jesus' love here as he's uh, teaching them important lessons that they would need to know because he was going to depart out of this world. Now, we know that, you know, three days later he rose again and, and he, walked, he, he walked on the earth for a while and then, and then he ascended up into heaven. We know that. But, but Jesus was preparing them for what was to take place after he was out of this earth. So... Uh, the truth presented there that uh, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Uh, there's also, uh, during this time, this, these few hours that they had together, this is also when Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit after he departed from this world. And what a great promise that was. The fact that, yes, Jesus was God with us, but the Holy Spirit is God in us, which is an amazing, uh, amazing change and. And he said, look, it's, it's needful for me to go away because then I can send the Holy Spirit. Uh, you want me to go away because you are going to need the Holy Spirit. and He's going to teach you all things uh, about me. And he's going to bring into remembrance all the things that I've told you. And uh, I'm so thankful that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Okay, so during this time, he, all, he also taught them. And, and I'm not going to go through all. There's five chapters of lessons we could We could be here all night. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to zip through a a couple of them. He also encouraged his disciples in John chapter 15 to abide in him. um, And as they do, they would bear fruit. Uh, In John chapter 15, that's what that's all about. And and if you recall, in John chapter 15, too, is the the very famous verse. um, If you love me, keep my commandments. Actually, that's in John chapter 14, verse 15, sorry. If you love me, keep my commandments. John 15 is the abide in me and I in you. And uh, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. No doubt he was referring to what he was about to do in a few hours. 
Um, some, some great, great, um, and then verse number 9 of John 15, I better, I, I better move on because I'm going to want to go through all of this passage, but I can't do that. Uh, John 15, 9 says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. And then um, John 17 is the great high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed there in the upper room. Uh, while they were listening, uh, John recorded this prayer uh, because he heard it firsthand. It was pretty amazing. So he, he chose to love, and the way he displayed that love was through the, the, the deliberate, intentional teaching, the lessons that he wanted them to know before he departed this world. So through this teaching, and then secondly, he displayed it through his sacrifice, through his sacrifice John chapter 13, verse 1, at the end of it says, He loved them unto the end. Uh, Even when he was there on the cross, he was thinking about them. And by the way, he was also thinking about you and I as well. But he was thinking about them, and he was thinking about, remember his mother? There were seven sayings from the cross, and one of them had to do with taking care of his mother, because he loved his mother. And he also loved John, and he told John, Would you please take care of my mom? And he did. He loved them unto the end. And, and of course, no greater uh, display of love than that which took place on the cross of Calvary. Romans 5.8, Paul said, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All that Christ, died, all that Christ did on the cross for us, the, the, the physical suffering, uh, was no doubt intense, no doubt more than anyone has ever experienced, but even far more uh, painful was the spiritual agony that took place when his own father forsook him, which is why he said, as we just heard a few minutes ago, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which being interpreted is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because God the, Holy, or God the Father turned his back on God the Son because Jesus was becoming my sin and yours on the cross of Calvary. Pretty amazing. So, Jesus had a few hours left to live. What was he going to do? Well, he wasn't going to go skydiving. He wasn't going to go to, you know, the nearest smorgie. Uh, He decided that he was going to intentionally love those around him. What else did he decide to do? Well, secondly, he also chose to serve. He chose to serve. John 13 and verse number 3 Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. So I know we're about ready to talk about the uh, washing of the, of the disciples' feet, but before he washed their feet, he served them supper. So first of all, he chose to serve by serving them supper. So verse number two, supper being ended. Okay, so let's talk about the Lord's Supper, which is what we're going to partake here as a church family in a, in a few moments. Uh, Matthew chapter 26 is a, is a little bit more of a detailed record of this part of the upper room. So if you want to keep your finger there in John 13, but go to John, uh, Matthew 26 in verse number 26. Matthew 26, 26. 
It says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Uh, so here we, we see the, the record of what took place there in the upper room as Jesus was breaking bread and giving the cup to his disciples. I want to just take a minute and, and, and explain the different elements that he gave to those disciples that very first Lord's Supper that very first communion there on that Tuesday night so many years ago. So first he gave out the bread. The bread, of course, would represent the broken body of Christ on the cross. He, he didn't just give him a full loaf of bread. He began to break it uh, because that symbolized the fact that Jesus' body would be broken for you and for me on the cross in just a few hours from when he first said this. Now, while Jesus had no broken bones on the cross, his flesh was absolutely torn apart with the cat of nine tails, with the crown of thorns, with the nails in his hands and his feet, and then finally the spear that was thrust into his side. Yes, his body was indeed broken for you and for me. Isaiah 53 and verse number 5, a prophetical verse. Um, written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, but definitely referring to Jesus, says this, Isaiah 53 and verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. You see, Jesus, his body, he allowed his body to be broken. For you and for me. And by the way, this bread that Jesus served that day was—it uh, wasn't quite the same wa- uh, little uh, wafers that we're going to have tonight. Uh, but it was unleavened bread, nonetheless. So it wasn't this sourdough bread, or you know, this—you know—different uh, bread that you can get at the grocery store that has all the leaven in it. It didn't have any yeast because. Yeast or leaven was a a picture of sin, a type of sin. And Jesus, of course, is breaking his own body, and his own body didn't have any sin in it. He was the perfect sinless Son of God. 1 Peter 2, verse 22, talking about Jesus, says, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. You see, Jesus was completely perfect. There was no leaven in him. There was no... Uh, there was no sin whatsoever. Hebrews 4.15 For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He was without sin. So Jesus there broke the bread, gave to his disciples, and then after that, he served them the cup. And the cup, of course, represents the pure blood of Christ that he shed on the cross. Uh, the blood that would become the payment for my sin. And yours. Now, this uh, juice that was in the cup, what was it? Was it alcoholic wine or was it grape juice? Now, I don't know that it was Welsh's grape juice like we're going to be serving tonight. Um, 
But it, I can tell you this, it was unfermented, non-alcoholic, pure grape juice. Nowhere in Scripture do we find the word wine used to describe the contents of the cup there at the Last Supper. It was always referred to, well, here Matthew refers to it as the fruit of the vine. Um, and, and, and alcoholic fermented uh, juice would, uh, would taint the picture of what was going on here because Jesus is it's representing Jesus' blood, and of course there's no sin in his blood like there is with your blood and mine. 1 Peter 1, verse 18, 19 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So this was the elements that uh, he served them. And this must have been pretty remarkable. I mean, we're, we're kind of used to it. We've been around church for a while, most of us, and, and we've seen this happen. But, but imagine being one of, those, one of those disciples, seeing Jesus uh, doing this and uh, being a part of that. It must have been a pretty amazing experience. So he served by uh, serving them supper. He served by giving out the bread and the cup. But then secondly, he also served by washing their feet. John, and back in John chapter 13, verse number 3, Jesus, knowing again that the Father had given all things into his hand, who's come from God, went to God, he riseth up from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he girded. And this is a somewhat humorous story here. Verse number six, then cometh he to Simon Peter. Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Well, Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, Well, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And Peter said, Okay, well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my, my, my head. I want to be part of you said, go ahead and give me a bath. That's fine. I, I want to be close to you. Well, Jesus, verse 10, Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not to save, uh, to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore, said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. Well, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, yet also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. If you recall, several months ago, we went through a series on Sunday nights called Blessed. One of those sermons, we looked at this passage of Scripture and talked about the way to be blessed God's way is by being a servant. Uh, A lot of the the world thinks that the way to be happy is have a bunch of people serve you. I want to be one of those wealthy people, those, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous. You know, I want to be featured on that show. I don't think that show's going on anymore. But 
Uh, I, wanna, I want them to come and, and uh, you know, my butler to meet the people at the door. And uh, not you, Brother Butler, but anyway, a different <laughs> butler. Um, I, I, you know, I want my maid to come and I want, you know, I want all my servants. That's not what God says is going to make someone happy. What God says is going to make someone happy is if you are willing to serve others. Um, once again, very fitting for Jesus to do during his last, last few hours before being crucified. You see, one of the main reasons he came to this earth and one of his main purposes during his earthly ministry was simply to serve. He could have come to be served and it would have been so right for that to happen, right? I mean... It, If anyone deserved to be served, it was Jesus. But that's not what he came to do. He came to serve. Jesus said this about himself in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He said, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus came to serve. Paul described the mentality that Jesus had during his ministry here on earth over in Philippians chapter 2, which is commonly referred to as the kenosis passage. Uh, Philippians 2 verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. See, Jesus could have come and said, all right, I'm God, everyone needs to serve me. And he would have been justified to do so. But he didn't do that. He came to serve. And he took upon him the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So the God of the universe, on the night before he was crucified, chose to serve. And he told us, by the way, to do the same. In John chapter 13, the last few verses I read in that passage, he says, "Ye had also, uh, I'm sorry, it says, uh, verse number 15, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, I don't necessarily believe that we need to wash each other's feet. Praise the Lord, right? I don't hold to that particular view. Um, we're all a big sigh of relief on that one. Right, Luke? <laughs> um, but honestly, if we held to that, it still wouldn't be near as bad as what Jesus did with those disciples. Because you probably wear socks or comfortable shoes that keep most of the dirt out of your feet. If we were to wash your feet tonight, they probably wouldn't be near as dirty as what Jesus dealt with when he washed those disciples' feet. And by the way, that was the job that was given to the lowest servant in the house, washing the feet. And Jesus was displaying here, look, no one is too good to do anything. No one is too high and mighty that you, wouldn't, you shouldn't be willing to uh, stoop down and wash someone's feet. As maybe disgusting as that sounds, it's something we all need to be willing to do. Now, I know we all like to be waited on hand and foot. Okay, no pun intended on the foot uh, word there. 
But let's remember the words of Christ when he said this, Whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. This world has it backwards, don't they? I've arrived when I have a whole bunch of people serving me. But God says, not in my kingdom. The greatest in my kingdom is the one who's willing to be the servant to the most people. Are you willing to be a servant? Are you willing to be a servant here at church? Most of you are. And I can tell that. And I appreciate your servant spirit over the last several months that we've been here and before. How are you at home when it's just you and your family? Are you a servant there? What about at work? Are you a servant at work? Well, I'm, I'm, the, you know, I'm way up there. Well, all the more reason you need to be a servant. I'm praying that God would help me to be a, a good servant. That's more important than being a good leader. The Bible never really talks about, Jesus really didn't highlight leadership as much as he highlighted servanthood. And so I need to learn to be a good servant. And it is interesting that as, you know, it's interesting to know what people say as their last words um, and, and what they do in their last moments, especially when they know that they're going. Well, Jesus knew full well what he was doing and what he was what was going to happen. And he chose to love, he chose to serve, and, and finally tonight he chose to pray. He chose to pray. When Jesus faced a seemingly impossible event, he chose to pray. It is interesting that God chose to pray. He prayed there in the upper room, first of all, or letter A there on your outline. He prayed in the upper room. And this is found in John 17. If you want to flip over there real quickly, we won't go through this whole chapter, but um, I would encourage you to do some study on this and find out exactly what the Lord prayed because it is significant. It's not just superfluous. It's important. Uh, Verse 17, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, And I'll just read this first verse here. Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. In this prayer, we see him showing reverence to the Heavenly Father. And, of course, this is somewhat the model prayer. Most of us think the the model prayer is, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This This is a great prayer to model our prayers after John 17 here. Because he showed reverence to his Father He displayed some communion that he was having with his father. He also prayed for others in this uh, this prayer. Uh, He prayed for his his disciples. And by the way, he also prayed for you and for me. Isn't that pretty special? To know that Jesus prayed for you in verse 20 is where it is. He said, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Hey, if you're saved here tonight, you believed uh, on him through their word. These, these disciples eventually began to pass on the word of God and, and the, the truth of the gospel and, until it eventually came to you and I. And so the Lord Jesus was praying for us there in verse 21. 
He also prayed for unity among believers in verse 21. That all they, or that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Unity is such an important part. I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but unity here, Jesus elevates to the point where people will know uh, our unity can act as a testimony, as a witness to others that Jesus is uh, is the Lord and uh, is the Messiah and is the Christ. In verse 21, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me because we're unified. Pretty amazing that he elevates it to that point. So he prayed it there in the upper room. He also prayed in the garden. He prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. And uh, let's turn over to Luke chapter 22, and, and we're nearly done tonight. Thank you for your attention on this. But I think it's significant to look at what Jesus chose to do when he knew his hour was come. He could have chosen to do so many things, but he chose to love. He chose to serve, and he chose to pray. Luke 22, verse 39. And he came out and went as he, as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He rose up from prayer, was come to his disciples. He found them sleeping for sorrow. said to them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. So here we find Jesus praying right before he was, and uh, most of us know the kind of the timeline. It, it wasn't long after that Judas shows up with a whole bunch of uh, soldiers there who, who come and take him. Um, but here he's praying. Now, one of the things I just wanted to point out tonight uh, about this particular prayer is Jesus no doubt wanted, his humanity wanted this cup removed. This cup that he was about to drink of, which was the cross, the spiritual uh, suffering that he was going to experience there on the cross. He said, I don't want a taste of that cup. I don't, wanna, I don't want that cup in my life. But more than he wanted, uh, but more than that, more than he wanted the cup removed, he wanted the will of his father more. And, and I want to encourage all of us, because there's going to become times in our life where we're going to maybe face something or maybe currently facing that we don't want in our life. Let's adopt the mentality of Christ. Yeah, Lord, I don't really love this cup that I'm drinking of from right now. But more than I want it removed, I want your will in my life. I want, I want to do what you want me to do, even if it's not something I would prefer. And I appreciate Jesus's. Uh, response and and really his honesty there and I think we, all of us can relate to to that and so I just want to ask that question is that your prayer as well so if you knew you were gonna be crucified tomorrow morning at 9 a.m 
What would you choose to do with the remaining hours that you had? Now, I don't know necessarily what I would do, but I'm thankful for the example of Christ here because he chose to love, he chose to serve, and he chose to pray. Those are good things to do um, because all of them are uh, a little strange bucket list to the world for sure, but, but very fitting bucket list for God uh, because it all uh, highlights who he is. It is his nature to do those things, and I'm so thankful that he did.